Father in heaven, I come to you this evening asking, Father, that you would lead the discussion. I've been chosen, but I'm only the instrument. I'm only the the mouthpiece. Father, we live in a cold time of the year, and we're living at a cold time in the history of this world, and a, a cold time in churches, and sometimes, Father, the lack of vibrancy, the lack of spiritual warmth is even seeming to wane in our own circles. As Julia prayed, I believe, Lord, we've been called to be the light of the world. Or someone prayed. This community, Father, should be better because this church is in its midst. But Lord, it won't be because of the church and the people as nice as they are, but because you're living in the people. That's what will make the difference. And Father, tonight as I stand on your behalf, what a sobering thing that is, I pray that you would empty me, that you would forgive me, Lord, and that you would anoint me with your thoughts, your ideas, so that the people would be better for the time spent. Please forgive them, forgive me, Lord, of everything Satan could use to distress us with, distract us with, discourage us with, dissuade us with, so that you would have free course in our lives. Don't do it for my sake, don't do it for their sake, do it for your sake, Lord. Because we don't want to continue any longer here in this world, and we recognize that the delay is not your problem, it's our problem. So help me now, for Jesus' sake. Make me nothing that you might be everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This evening we want to talk about pursuing revival. And I want to start with that statement that we read yesterday. And before we start, I should ask, does everyone have the little booklet that Jay is passing out right now? Anyone missing the little brown booklet? Just raise your hand if you don't have it. Um, we read it yesterday, and we'll, we'll look at it again by way of review. It says, starting in 131, a revival of true godliness, line 131, among us is the greatest and the most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessings of the Lord. It won't work unless we are earnest. And one of the ways we show our earnestness is by being willing to spend time, investing time in seeking it. Not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are, notice the next word, we are unprepared to receive it. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? That God would bless us if he could, but we are unprepared to receive his blessing. Later when we pray, I hope that we will spend some time Talking to God. What is it that is lacking? What is it that makes me unprepared? Um, 
You know, what is it in my life? What is it in my practices? Are there things in my home that cause me to be unprepared? Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work, and there's that list again, by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer. There are the four things. By confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us His blessing. And then a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. So as we do our part, and then as we pray, we can be confident. We didn't read the last one last night at number 140, line number 140. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life a quickening of the powers. It's the, it's the want to of revival. A resurrection from spiritual death. In other words, our condition is such that we really can't pull ourselves up without the power of God. Reformation signifies a reorganization. And I would like to suggest that would be on many levels. A reorganization, a change in ideas, and theories, habits, and practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the Spirit. Revival and reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work, they must blend. And so I ask again. We've read that we are unprepared, and I hope that this week you would Seriously pray, Lord, what is it? What is it that that might stand in the way? You all know the verse, but let's look it up together. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 14. It says there, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and notice, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. Okay? If we will be willing to humble ourselves, and then we'll be willing to pray, and seek God's face, turn from our wicked ways, then it says that God will hear. Look as well at Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. Now notice I'm following the the outline, I'll, I'll vary from that some, but Acts 2.38, essentially the same message. Peter was preaching in a new way. Um, Acts 2, actually starting in verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom what? Whom you crucified. Whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Something happened that day. For the first time, they took ownership of the fact that they had been responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And I'm not sure we always sense that personal responsibility. But Peter told them, 
you know, um, whom you crucified. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And he responded right away. Then Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift. The first thing he told them was repent. And in that case, I believe it was a, a generalized use of the word repent, but it referred to what we're talking about uh, this evening. That is this whole matter of turning back to God, which starts with a, an admitting there's something wrong, a humbling, and then, as we'll learn later, a U-turn, a whole new change of direction. Okay, well, what was the result? Line 154, I love this. It's one of my favorite statements when it comes to revival in the early church. What was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit? On the day of Pentecost, the glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the uttermost parts of the inhabited world. The church beheld converts flocking to her from all directions. Backsliders were reconverted. Sinners united with believers in seeking the pearl of great price. I long for the day I long for the day when we will see people streaming from all corners because the Holy Spirit has told them you need to go to the church. Um, and I know it happens. I've seen it happen a few times when I have held meetings where people have shown up and said, I was just impressed deeply that I was to come. I remember I was uh, in Jamestown, New York, and a lady came to the meetings I was holding. She said, I prayed and the Lord said, you must, you must, you must come to the church today. And it was wonderful. Once when I was in Christchurch, New Zealand, a lady said, I woke up today and I was either going to go hear Joyce Myers or I was going to come hear you. She had learned I was in Christchurch from, from my website. And she said, God specifically strongly impressed me that I was to come to your meetings. I was not to go to Joyce Myers. Now, my brothers and sisters, there's nothing special about Dan. Nothing at all. I believe that there are times when when God knows there's earnest seekers and he will use any vessel that's willing to be used. But he wants to empower each and every one of us to be living candles, living spotlights, living flashlights, living lights for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people who are searching. And uh, there's a wonderful quotation later that I will share with you that talks about the fact that when people not of our faith see that Jesus is with us, then they will unite with us in serving the Redeemer. That's the true secret, I believe, of church growth. Do a lot of other things, but that is the secret. Oh, what is God's remedy? We already read it. It's our work by confession and humiliation, earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions to which God has promised his blessings. Let's, uh, let's look at some verses on that. Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 3, verse 6. Matthew chapter 3, verse 6. It says there, speaking of John the Baptist, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan. What was going on? They were confessing their sins. They were admitting that they needed a, a Savior. Okay? We all know the promise in 1 John 1, 9. Let's read it together. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. It says there, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm not here to impress you with putting together nice words. This is, in my mind, just a discussion of family. It says, if we confess our sins, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Would it be true, therefore, that if we don't confess our sins, we will not be forgiven? Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why a religion that doesn't include any acknowledgement and confessing cannot be valid. Okay? Now, I don't doubt that we all confess. But is it the earnest kind of confession that the Bible calls for? Or is it just what sounds right? Is it because we are truly convicted of sin. Notice Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13. It says there, He who covers his sins will, what? Not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Notice, if we cover our sins, we won't prosper. But whoever confesses and what? And forsakes. And remember I shared with you last night, uh, there are people who confess, but they don't repent. And uh, therefore, they just keep right on doing what they were doing before. But it says, whoever confesses and forsakes them, that person will have mercy. Now, a lot of people confess their sins in the Bible, right? Who are some of the people that confessed? Who? David did? Sure. David did? Who else? Daniel did? Okay. Who else? Who? King Saul. King Saul? Yeah. Yeah. Who else? What about Ezra, Nehemiah? What's interesting is some of these people weren't such bad people, were they? But still, even in in the godly living that they had, apparently they saw that there was an issue. What, uh, what prophet do we know of who, when he truly was in connection with God and he saw a vision of God in the temple, suddenly didn't feel quite so good about himself? Isaiah. Isaiah. He said, woe is me, why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips. Well, I fear that tonight many of us have unclean lips. Even though we go to church. Uh, Back in 1904, there was a very famous revival that began in Wales. And there was a young man there who had been off at a, a school and felt convicted to go back to his home church and share his convictions with the people and uh, went to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. The pastor was a, was a supportive person, but he didn't want to have him ruin the service, so he had him wait until later, and I guess I'm adding that word, but he, he chose not to have him take over the prayer meeting. He just said at the end, you know, uh, Evans wants to make a, a bit of a, you know, share some things tonight, Evan. Uh, please stay by, and 17 people stayed, not most of the people, only 17. 
And he gave a, a message, a very short message. He said, I have a message from God for you. And it went as follows. Confess your sins. Number two, make any known wrongs right. Three, set aside any doubtful habits. Four, be prompt to obey the Holy Spirit. And finally, let others know what God is doing. Now, here's my question for you. Do you think that that might be a good message for us to follow in our day? if we want revival. The first point was confess your sins. We're talking about that tonight. The second one was what? Make any known wrongs right. What does that mean exactly? That refers to thinking, Lord, are there people that I need to write and ask their forgiveness? Are there people that I, that I have defrauded? Um, have I not been paying tithe? And and God is not going to bless me while I stay in that condition, make any known wrongs right. Didn't say some of them, but any known wrongs right. Then, set aside any doubtful habits. When you think of your life, are there things that you're not quite sure about, and it's a little hard to give them up because, well, it'd be a, a nice thing. I know my dear Rose was... Tell you what, I talk and then she gets convicted and goes to work at home. And today she went into the kitchen. She says, I'm going to go through the kitchen and look what's there. And, uh, and are we willing to be that practical? You know, someone said one of the ways to do an inventory of our lives is to actually go room to room and just open up the closet and say, is there anything in the closet that doesn't belong there? You know, and, and we usually start in the living room, which is kind of a comfortable place to be, and then we... You know, maybe go to other easy rooms and eventually we'll get to the kitchen and, and to the rec room and all those areas and just kind of do an, uh, do an inventory. And so he asked the question, or he made the statement, he said, set aside any doubtful habits. And then he said, be prompt to obey because it's easiest to obey if we obey right away. And then let others know what God is doing. Be willing to, to witness of your Love for Jesus. That short statement was used by God to, to play a significant role in starting the revival in Wales. Okay? And uh, before it was over, more than 100,000 people had joined the churches. Um, you know, I think today God wants an even deeper kind of revival than what they experienced then. But, but the message he gave, I believe, is valid for our day. Confess your sins. Make any Known wrongs right. You know, one good thing to do when I mention that is just go home and make a list to say, God, are there, are there people I need to write or contact? We'll talk more about it. And then set aside any doubtful habits. We have been called to be God's personal representatives in attitude and in actions. People should know about God by by seeing the way that we live and seeing the way that we talk. Do we do that? Do we do that? And then be prompt in obeying and let others know what God is doing. I believe, I believe that that would make a great, great difference. Notice line 187. It was by the confession and forsaking of sin 
by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God that the early disciples prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Okay? Let me repeat that. It was by the confession and forsaking of sin, by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God, that the early disciples prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The same work, only in greater degree, must be done now. The same work, only in greater degree, must be done now. How long did they spend? They spent 10 days, didn't they? Were the 10 days to convince God that it was time? Do you think it was like, God, we know you don't want to do this, but would you please surprise us? No. I believe it was because it took that much time for them to pray and for God to soften their hearts to the point they said, well, God, you know, show me. And then they would accept a few things. And then, Lord, is there anything else? And it took 10 days for them to come into a right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. Now, we can't force people, can we? But we can do our part. And so my question comes, are you willing to do your part? It's not going to be easy. It's not easy to eat humble pie. It's not easy to admit. But that seems to be what God is calling us to do if we want to experience revival. You know, I think for the disciples, they'd had such a, such a vision of Jesus and felt so bad about their abandoning Jesus. And I think they were so fearful, you know, of what was going on around them that they were happy to be there in the upper room and as they prayed and they sought God, eventually something happened. And the experience of Pentecost stayed with them and it says in the Bible that in their generation they took the gospel to, to the world that they knew. Wouldn't you like to have it in our day? Line 191. Confession would break up the fallow ground of the heart. It would rid you of your pride and self-complacency. Notice, while you neglect this work, wonder not that the Holy Spirit has not softened your heart and led you into all truth. Then it goes on to talk about God could not have blessed you without sanctioning sin and confirming you in unbelief. Let me explain. If God were to send revival to a person who is choosing not to obey, and I'll take an extreme case. Let's say that, that God were to, for example, send the Holy Spirit to someone who was very actively stealing right and left. What would it do? What would it suggest? Could you imagine God doing that? Could you? Probably not, right? Because what message would it give? It's okay, you can do whatever you want, God doesn't care. God would never, ever do that. Now we just have a greater comfort level, you know, with where we are. But I believe that in many cases, we have 20-20 vision for everyone else, but we're pretty blind to ourselves. But God isn't. God isn't. And I believe that God wants to bring genuine revival. Okay? 
line 200. The question is often asked, why is there not more power in the church? Why not more vital godliness? The reason is the requirements of God's word are not complied with in verity and in truth. God is not loved supremely and our neighbors ourselves. Outward forms take the place of the inner work of grace, but they are what? Whited sepulchres, whited tombstones, beautiful without, as far as claims to piety and a profession of the truth are concerned, but within what? Full of uncleanness. The theory of the truth has converted the head, but the soul temple has not been cleansed of its idols. And I read a statement that said to, uh, said for all intents and purposes that if you could see the inner life of most people, they would stop claiming to be Christians. If you could see the inner life of most people they would, that claim to be Christians, they would stop claiming to be Christians. Now, I'm not saying this to discourage you. I'm not saying this to suggest that you know, we're making a mistake in trying because this is the work of God. But when it says in Ephesians that we are dead in trespasses and sins, that is true. And we need the deliverance of God. I'd like to share a bit of a story and, uh, and then we will take some time to pray. There was a man who God greatly used in the 1800s who was over in China. His name was uh, Jonathan Goforth. Um, he talks about he had actually gone over in the 1800s and now it's about 1901 or so. He said, I began to experience a growing dissatisfaction with the results of my work. He wanted to be a much-used pastor, a much-used missionary, but nothing was working. He said, in the early pioneer years, I had, I had buoyed myself, I had lifted myself with the assurance that a seed time must precede a harvest and had therefore been content to persist in the ongoing feudal struggle. Let me repeat that. He said, in my early years, I had been quite uh, comfortable with the idea that there's got to be a seed time and that even though I'd, I didn't seem to see, to see the harvest, there was no problem with that. Okay? Would you agree that many of us have often said we're planting seeds? And we've taken comfort in that. Yeah, I have, you have, we all have. But here was a pastor who said, I've been a pastor, I've not been seeing the fruit that I believe the Bible promises. And he said there was a growing dissatisfaction that there was something wrong. And I'd like to suggest that many of our churches are not growing like they should if we have the truth. Would you agree? And I think many of the Lord, what, what can we do? Well, that was his problem. He said, but now 13 years had passed and the harvest seemed, if anything, further away than ever. You can identify with that. It seems even harder now. I felt sure that there was something larger ahead of me if I had only the vision to see what it was and the faith to grasp it. Constantly there would come to me the words of the Master, Verily, verily, I say to you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these he shall do. He said there's a promise that Jesus said as we prayed, as we lived in conformity to his will, that God would be able to do even greater things. And he said, I, those words kept coming. Those words kept coming and I wanted them for myself. And always, he said, there would sink a deep, painful realization of how how little was being done of those
greater works. Restless, I was led to a more intensive study of Scripture. Every passage that had to do with this growing higher experience I read. These I read repeatedly. Then late in the fall of 1905, someone sent him a little pamphlet with some things that had been written about revival over in Europe. And he read something that really struck him, and that was, if, if farmers, and this is Dan's paraphrase, were to be as content with passively waiting for the harvest as Christians are, everyone would starve. Okay? That's Dan's paraphrase, and it's a very loose paraphrase. But uh, the idea is that if we do our part, God will do his part. So I ask you the question, what would you like? Now this man, this man, Jonathan Goforth, he was over in China, he had read about revivals that were ongoing and he longed to have those revivals in his ministry. And uh, his wife recounts that when he received this pamphlet, he was just in awe and he said, I want it for myself and I'm going to do all I can to study and pray until I have it and he persisted. Mm-hmm. Now, tomorrow night we're going to learn more about this and learn more about what we need to confess. Remember we were going to study about what's to confess but tonight I would like to have us uh, spend some honest time first on our own if that would be okay. Just talking to God, number one, how far are we willing to go? Remember the four things that Evan Roberts talked about. It really matches very closely to what we read of Ellen White. Confess. Are we willing to confess? Number two, are we willing to make any known wrongs right? We'll learn more about those things tomorrow night. Three, are we willing to set aside any doubtful habits? Four, are we willing to obey even this week? And five, are we willing to let others know? Now, I know that it may seem a little challenging, I'll use that word, frightening. To be serious about a walk with Jesus may not seem like the easiest thing to do. I was just reading to my class today about how the Jews did not feel that Jesus was spiritual or religious because he didn't conform to what they want. They thought his religion was worthless. But we know he had the true religion. He chose to be obedient. I'd like you to take some time just to pray on your own tonight. Just talking to God about where you'd like to be at the end of this week. Are you willing to do your part that God can do his part? We'll get to the praying part, but we need to break up the surface first so that the, the rain of the Holy Spirit can get under the surface, okay? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.